today I'm here with Aaron, who is uh, co-founder of Gorilla Nation. And Aaron, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is you guys do? Well, I'm a, a native Californian, born and raised, lived most of my life over there. I was a professional student at one point in my life. I got a CPA, JD, and an MBA at um, Santa Barbara for undergrad and uh, University of Wisconsin at Madison for an MBA. And then I uh, was uh, actually went and did the trifecta and got um, went to uh, UCLA for my JD. And I started my career in the entertainment industry. My grandfather was a movie producer in the 50s and 40s. And my family's been in, had a career in entertainment. And early on, I worked at the... Uh, Fable William Morris mailroom after all that stuff. I just, after all that education, I decided to become a professional mailman. And uh, after I realized I wasn't that interested in entertainment, um, I went in on, I went off and started my own uh, first internet company um, that was built around creating a um, entertainment community site centered around young celebrities. And I started that back in 98 um, with uh, my business partner, Brian Fitzgerald, who joined me uh, early 99. And we uh, quickly uh, realized that that business um, uh, was difficult to do sort of at that time where there was um, sort of an Internet ad recession at that point in time, and we morphed it into an ad rep firm, and that's where our Gorilla Nation became out of. Uh, we uh, were working with a company that was broking our ads for our site, Celebrity Boulevard, and they were taking a, a good commission, and we realized that you know our skill sets were really in sort of the business aspect and not necessarily a building a site, and we uh, morphed our business into a, an ad rep company. So you've taken, so firstly on your grandfather, so would he have actually worked inside the studio system? My grandfather was a independent movie producer. He he actually came to the States from Poland, and he um, moved initially to Detroit, and he, he, his brother and my grandfather had a... Uh, movie, a chain of movie theaters, and um, I believe out in the, the late 30s, early 40s, he moved to Los Angeles, and shortly after coming to Los Angeles, he started producing um, independent movies. Uh, he actually cast Leonard Nimoy in his first feature film, and he was one of the um, great B-movie uh, movie, uh, producers of the day, and, so I, and uh, since then, my uh, Uncle Bob Broder started and ran a very successful literary talent agency called Broder, Curlin, Webb, Uffner, which was acquired by ICM. And my father um, has run for the past 30 years a very successful business management company where they manage the um, uh, the investment and taxes uh, for um, lots of important entertainment industry figures. So basically what you're saying is you've been around the, the business of entertainment for a long time. And then what you're doing with Gorilla Nation is taking that expertise and bringing that to web publishers. That's correct. You know, I spent, you know, uh, several years around Hollywood agencies, and Hollywood agencies are, you know, they represent writers, directors, film producers, um, composers, editors, um, and we wanted to, you know, once we... Once the Celebrity Boulevard model, once we started talking to ad rep companies, we realized that a media rep was very similar to a Hollywood agency and that we're an agency rep for web publishers. And it's really sort of a natural extension out of what I learned at the Hollywood agencies. Uh, a lot of the things transfer over, such as you have to learn how to maintain clients, uh, 
Um, you have to learn how to set client expectations. You have to learn how to pitch clients. Um, it's very similar to the world of, you know, Hollywood agencies, other than the fact that your clients are websites as opposed to people. And probably some of these guys that are just doing it on their own and, and very popular websites, their egos are probably about the same size as some of the celebrities, aren't they? <laughs> that is correct. Um, <laughs> that is correct. You just have to know some of the famous uh, celebrity bloggers, and they certainly fit that bill. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, and so, so you started off ru- actually running a site and then figured you'd move to repping because you understood the business side of it better. Is that, so that, is that a correct understanding? That's correct. Also, back back um, when we switched to repping was around 2001, and there was very, you know, at that point in time, the brand ad revenue that was spent online, and we were always interested, even from the get-go of repping, of focusing on movie and celebrity websites, because our goal at that point in time, 2001, movie studios were spending um, a significant portion of their money building out their own web platforms or websites and very little money marketing those sites online. Um, to the extent that they were marketing, they were really only working with, um, they probably were spending 90% of their budgets with portals, and those budgets weren't very significant. Um, so at that point in time, we felt that there was a great opportunity to um, help movie studios connect with audiences online. And in that vein, we ended up signing up some of the leading independent movie information sites, such as Rotten Tomatoes, which has since been bought by uh uh, News Corp, or IGN and then News Corp, um, you know, Box Office Mojo, Joe Blow, Dark Horizons, and a litany of, Ain't It Cool News, and a litany of other sites. And uh, that's a great way to reach, you know, film enthusiasts. And then we started signing other sites to reach that elusive film fan, such as leading comic sites, um, anime sites, scary movie sites, um, where they could properly market, it, let's say, a science fiction thriller across a grouping of science fiction sites and movie sites. So everything at the initial um, starting point of Celebrity Boulevard was built around ad wrapping to service um, movie studios on both the theatrical end as well as the DVD release end. So your focus on traffic is entertainment movie type traffic. It's not, if I come to you with a, a dating site or a sports site, that's not going to be your kind of a thing. No, that was early on. Since then, we've really, you know, grown into a variety of verticals. Right now, we're focused across 37 different verticals. Um, we represent a number of marquee properties, which include Marvel.com, StarWars.com, you know, some of the aforementioned film sites. We represent a lot of the leading celebrity blog sites, such as the Superficial, Pink is a New Blog. Um, we represent, you know, uh, Millsbury, one of the largest children's sites. So we're really still entertainment and lifestyle focused, but we do represent, you know, a variety of sites that fill in, you know, both narrow categories such as, you know, anime, comic book, science fiction, hunting, fishing, you know, enthusiasts, as well as broader categories, which would be, you know, leading film sites, leading video game news and information sites, leading music sites, and celebrity gossip sites. Um, in addition to those categories, we also reach you know, uh, and represent a, a lot of the leading um, sites catering to women, um, which would include um, you know, general female interest sites, style sites, fashion sites, uh, sites appealing to the fashionistas, um, and celebrity gossip. So what, <coughs> um, what kind of annual volume of... Um of, of ad sales are you managing? 
Well, our, you know, our business is really morphed into, and I can speak to that later, but, you know, right now, our total company's revenues last year hovered around $47 million, and we've experienced, you know, anywhere between 50 to 200% growth based on the year since 2002, um, and we expect 2008 to be, uh, to continue that trend. So I don't understand like how a deal like this works at all. This is really interesting. I'm really happy to talk to you about this because this is new. Um, so let's say I have a site and I've got actually one that I mean one that I know quite well. Maybe we could use this as our base example because I've talked with them a lot. Is um, are you familiar with Fark.com? F-A-R-K. Yes. Um, so Drew, Drew and I talk quite a lot. You know, he tells me all kinds of stories about his site, and I've talked through a lot of the issues. And this is the side that I don't understand that well is the branding side. So you come along and would represent someone like Drew. Is that correct? That is correct. And so, you so we would approach Drew, or Drew would approach us, and we'd discuss his site, and we would sign a uh, representation contract where we would go out and agree that we would act as their premium, exclusive premium ad sales entity that would directly replace any internal sales team that they would have. Our direct responsibility would be going out to brand marketers that would be relevant for, for his site. So FARC, for example, probably caters to a 12 to 34 year old mostly male audience probably, and we target those intellectually 12 to 13 but yes they... yeah <laughs> and we target um, and I can say that we target the reader as well <laughs> yeah we, we, we target those markers that would be interested in reaching that uh, um, adolescently minded yet mature male um, through you know a variety of integrated promotions as well as banner media so in addition to just selling the banners on the site, whether that's, you know, um, and there's different ad formats, whether it's, you know, a rectangular ad or a, you know, a longer and skinnier ad, which we call a sort of a super banner or leaderboard, or we go out and we do custom units such as uh, creating custom advertorial, actually reskinning the page, or creating, you know, very interesting programs that can engage with the reader through um, through vehicles other than just a mere ad. And we go out and we pitch those programs to marketing partners, and then we agree to rates. Um, we agree to the, the specs of the buy, the, the duration of the buy, the budget of the buy. And once we run that campaign, we end up using our ad server, which the publisher will use. We're a double-click client, and they either have an internal server where they take our code or they're just hard-coded on their sites, our ad tags. And they run um, they run the campaign, and after the campaign is over, we agree to a um, to a commission arrangement, and uh, they then will receive the pro the, the net proceeds after we uh, we earn our commission. So so from that side, so here's what's interesting for me. Let's say um, I'm Fark.com, and you've gone to Procter and Gamble, and you've cut a big deal to run an ad for some sort of I don't know some new deodorant or something. Let's say they're making a deodorant. I don't actually know if they make deodorant, but I imagine they do. Um, they then give you $100,000 to run ads on my site. You, so you then take that $100,000 and you, you then work with them to come up with creatives. You give me those creatives. They then run on my site and then I end up getting um, a percentage of that money. Is that, is that how it works? More or less. The only main difference that you mentioned is that the agency the, which is representing the advertiser, the advertising agency, will create standard creatives that will run across a a large group of sites. They'll run not only through FARC, but through other male-interested, you know, or male-oriented um, publishers, and they'll use that same creative to run across, you know, a collection of sites, some of which we may represent, some of which we may not. And um, 
if there are any custom elements those that, that we would create, such as, let's say, reskinning um, FARC.com, we would do that, but we most often or more often than not will use the assets that the, that the agency will provide to us to create a consistent messaging on FARC.com, although that custom skin will be unique to FARC and will be different from what may run on other sites. So you actually want to totally reskin FARC.com, like change the look and feel. Is that, that would be one of the major things that... Uh, that could be one major thing. We could, you know, we could set up a, um, you know, a custom editorial calendar where they can sponsor certain, you know, let's say, uh, news feeds of the day. They can, we can build a widget which can be sponsored, uh, by FARC.com. They can run, um, a, a pre-roll video ad. So if FARC is actually serving video, we can sell, you know, pre-roll space. There's a variety of instruments that you can, uh, that, that you can do with respect to, uh, online media programs these days. So one of the things, like I talked to Drew about one of the, the some of the ad buys that happened, and he he talked about how like sometimes they'll go up on the side and they'll just like blow right through and he won't even see them. You know, he's getting so much traffic. Um, I mean, how does an advertiser handle that kind of stuff? You, they they give you money for it and then they you know they get like ten clicks and then they're done. Like, how does that work? Well, there's a lot of there should be you know if if advertisers are using you know have access to a very good advertising agency. Um, one of the best parts about online advertising is that the media is very measurable. So, um, you know, DoubleClick or Atlas or your typical ad server um, that's used to record ad impressions and ad clicks can, you know, you know, classify that and tell you if a campaign has been successful based on the engagement activities on that ad. In addition to sort of standard flash ads, there's, you know, a new, a whole litany of rich media ads. And rich media ads are ads that you can kind of mouse over and the ad would expand or you can mouse over and watch a video um, where you're able to determine not whether or not someone clicked on an ad, but whether or not someone rolled over an ad and saw something or played around with that ad in a meaningful way without leaving FARC.com um, from its website. So based on those general um, metrics, um, they can evaluate what the cost of the ads were and then back and do a, a number of metrics, whether it's a cost per click, a cost per engagement, um, a cost per time spent on um, on an ad unit um, to figure out what's been successful or not. Um, in addition to those sort of verifiable metrics, there's a lot of soft metrics which can be associated with um, custom programs. One of those programs can have a uh, a vote function. You know, you know, vote for your favorite. You know let's say Batman movie or vote for your favorite, you know, um, video game of all time where it can be sponsored or promoted by a particular marketing partner and you can collect that data to tell that to, to see if people are engaged within that message. Um, so in a that, case like that, that you, would you ever sell in a in a rate that's not CPM? Would you would you sell like based on a cost per act, cost per action like for example uh, the number of votes collected? No, but what you would do is that those are called more like integrated media programs and there would be sort of a fixed fee associated with building out a program. So if you go far beyond voting, that's just a, a typical uh, one example, but you would build, you know, uh, you know, whatever custom program you're doing, you normally, you know, assign a fixed fee to that component and you would not be basing things off of a CPA. So is, is there anything that could get you to move your business to any kind of CPA, or will you only ever do CPM? Right now what we're noticing is, is that there are CPA uh, you know, programs. Most of those programs are occurring um, through remnant providers. Um, whatever way any type of media is being backed out, um, there are CPA programs, so if you ever see any... Um, you know, dating ads online where they have, you know, a seductive-looking woman on the site. 
and they're clicking, that, that, that advertiser in the back end is looking for how many signups they're getting. If sometimes a lot of uh, telecommunications messaging, whether you see a T-Mobile ad, they may be collecting and then evaluating a vendor for how many phone subscribers that they receive. Um, but those are generally bought through remnant media providers, and that media generally will only run after your brand ads are completely exhausted. So we do not specialize in remnant media. There's a lot of companies that are very good at that, um, that have sophisticated technologies for ad optimization, and that's a whole different sphere, and that's, you know, that remnant media game is very different um, than selling high touch point custom programs um, that online brand advertising is, uh, requires these days. And that's what's fascinating to me because that's, that's the area I know more about. Um, what I don't understand is, because uh, my, my, my feeling would be is that the, the, the concept of just selling CPM, you know, flat going into Procter & Gamble and being able to get high CPMs for advertising is going to go away. And we're going to move towards CPA-type advertising. And even on a CPM basis, it'll just, it, it's where the brand advertising, those ads will still run, but they'll run first because they're on a higher CPA. Do you, do you feel that I'm, I'm incorrect in saying something like that? I don't know necessarily if that's going to happen online. Um, I, right now, you know, um, if let's just say you want it, people are looking for impactful programs. That can be through typical banners, which would be, um, you know, let's just say you would roadblock ads and you want to own that inventory for the, let's just say, the Thursday night before a movie's coming out. So in addition to watching the movie trailer on NBC or Fox, on that Thursday night, you want to have roadblock media on top sites that are reaching the audience segment that you're trying to get to see that movie. Um, I don't know if that if and the publishers that ha- are the largest and most desirable um, will not sell that media on a CPA. So unless you know the entire industry changes, where you know you know every movie studio or every video game company or every CPG is is trying to you know price things based on a CPA, I don't think it's going to happen. They also need to come up with very, you know, hard and measurable metrics. You know, for example, let's say you're doing a video game promotion. I'm not sure how you would have that on a CPA. Um, you know, certain products will not lend themselves to CPAs. Um, so I, I don't believe that's going to occur. Um, however, I do believe that, you know, over time, marketers will be smarter and smarter with their money and allocate that in the most efficient platforms. And normally branding metrics which are which have metrics such as a you know backing into an effective cost per click or an effective cost per engagement on a rich media ad, those are, tend to be softer softer metrics, nonetheless are metrics that brand marketers will use. And I'm not so certain that um, brand marketers will ever adopt metrics as, as strict as a CPA. Well, when I say CPA, I actually I mean anything that's requiring some kind of an action, whether it's a lead, a click, or something. I'm, I'm talking about some kind of an action being taken rather than paying on a, on a per impression. I'm not seeing that yet. And I think, if anything, that, that's going away. That doesn't mean, I think the other confusing part is, uh, let's take T-Mobile as an example. T-Mobile may have two very different initiatives. One initiative may be a CPM focus where the goals of the campaign are to change the perception of a product, introduce a product, enhance a certain feature set. Those are, again, brand goals. Those are softer goals. And for that, they are looking for integrated media programs, big ideas to contextually tie your product to the audience and the site that you're that you're reading or watching. 
um, some, some type of video on. Um, T-Mobile, on the other hand, they have a, a whole other set of uh, a, another initiative where they are um, they are trying to push cell phone plans, and that may be based purely on a CPA, and those plans may go to a CPA basis. Um, so, uh, and they are evaluated on a CPA basis, except they are choosing and selecting their their uh, remnant providers. And from my understanding, they are still paying based on a CPM or a CPC, a cost per click. And then the remnant media providers are using their ad technology to make sure that they're optimized uh, properly, so that they're making the the most uh, the, the highest eCPM or effective CPM possible by making sure that the ads serve on sites where the people are most likely to click. So if, um, let's say, T-Mobile has a goal of changing a perception of a product, let's say it's had a bad perception in some way and they want to make a good perception, so something that would traditionally be bought on a CPM um, scale, why wouldn't they design into the campaign that, okay, we want, we're going to run this in a social networking site and we're going to allow people to come in and play the, the T-Mobile game and each, for each person that comes in and plays a T-Mobile game, we'll know by the end of it that, they, that their, their perception has been changed somewhat and then pay based on the number of those interactions, which they can then choose to scale out across uh, different social media sites. Is that not their, their kind of thinking? Do you see it heading in that direction, or is it just... Um, I... No, I don't, see th- I don't see that the paying out based on those perceptions is happening, but what is happening is, is that if you created a program where there was very little activity, um, so let's use your example, and people were playing with some game built on a social network or on specific type of content sites, and users are not engaging with that, and that is the metric that they're looking for to determine whether or not they've been successful at changing a, a brand perce- uh, consumer's brand perception or engaging a consumer regarding a brand. If you, let's just say, had a, a far uh, lower engagement rate because you're not having as many people play with that game, that agency may penalize you on the next campaign, and based upon the fact that you didn't perform as well um, as another site, um, you may not make the next plan. So they will use performance metrics or just to assess whether or not they want to include you in plan, but they're not going to pay you based upon those performance metrics. And that's, so that, that decision-making, is, that, is, is the reason they don't want to do this kind of CPA type or you know, interactive-based um, billing, is that a decision more on the side of the publisher or is it more on the side of the advertiser? Who, who's pushing it that way? It's mostly by publishers, but it's been adopted that advertisers know that they're not going to go to Yahoo or MySpace and believe that the Yahoo or MySpace would not accept ads um, based on those pricing methods. They only accept ads based upon CPMs for their coveted inventory, and it's always been that way. So would the, would the advertisers do it if they could? Some would. Some absolutely would, um, except you rarely see... Um, you rarely see things being done that way. If advertisers are really into efficiency, they will just demand either lower CPMs or in very very certain cases, lower CPC pricing, but you will rarely, if ever, see CPA pricing from a brand advertiser. Right. On those initiatives where they're looking to change or alter or enhance the uh, product image. Again, if it's more towards, uh, you know, sign up for this, you know, job listing board or sign up for Expedia, you will see those campaigns based on um, CPAs. Right. So then you want to be able to go into an advertiser, let's say T-Mobile, and they say that we want to launch a new product and change the perceptions of an existing one, and you'll then work with them to, for their goals for the campaign. You'll get those clear, and then you'll work across your network of sites to then um, get that campaign out. Is that correct? That is correct. 
Right. Um, what about does rebrokering happen? Like, do you take do you go to other agencies and, and get on get bigger reach that way? No, no. We only work directly with our publishers. Now we could work with a, a group of people that own more than one site, but we ju- do not work through other brokers. It's just our belief that it's important to work directly with the publishers because if you're going to come up with custom programs, you need to work uh, with that very specific person or or owner or person whoever's in charge of the site. Is is that industry wide or is that just how you guys work? I don't. Well, I think we we you know it is industry wide with respect to um, brand ad selling, with respect to performance ad selling. So let's just say a company is involved in you know selling someone's unsold or remnant space. That party may very well work with a variety of ad brokers to fill that unsold space. But when going out to sell the premium, you know best in class ad space that is done. Um, uh, industry-wide, uh, just through a, an agent and publisher relationship, um, if that site does not have a sales force, uh, most large in, most large sites or the top, let's say, 50 sites, the vast majority have a deep internal sales team. Um, some use independent rep companies, but uh, if the site's big enough, they they often will have an internal team selling their own media. Is, I mean, and would that again come back to this being high touch and very specific, and that's the reason why you can't do that? Because it would seem like you did lose some scale that way. That is correct. That is correct. You, you definitely, it's, it's all high touch, which requires, you know, uh, intimate knowledge of the market, great salespeople, and for a lot of independent sites that don't have the resources, they just can't afford or don't have the desire or energy to go build out an internal sales team. So actually, that leads on to the next question I have. That's um, nicely done. Thank you, Vic. <laughs> um, you're is, welcome. Let's say you're let's say you're a big publisher, um, and you'd, you're you've been you've you've been running your, your inventory yourself. You maybe got one of your friends to start selling it. It's not growing as much, so you, you get rid of him and you get someone to represent you. And uh, but then what happens is you get to a certain scale, and by the time you're getting a certain scale, then you can then it suddenly starts to make sense to bring it in house again. Don't you have an automatic like a cap on how big you can grow things? Um, you could. You have to depend. It really depends on the individual publisher. Um, so a lot of publishers, for example, let's take Marvel.com, you know, or publishers that are owned by parents that aren't advertising-focused businesses. Um, they're, you know, the revenue that they're generating through their site pales in comparison. Let's just say to the licensing, the revenue that Marvel's earning or Lucas is earning through StarWars.com. In those instances, they are not looking to squeeze every last dollar um, out of their ad sales arms. What they're looking to do is have a clean, efficient solution for an outside sales um, from an outside sales agency. Um, a lot of independent publishers also need to reach. Very few independent publishers reach either the brand um, have their properties reach the brand equity levels where it makes sense to bring it in house, or have the total amount of inventory where it makes sense to bring it in house just due to the sheer cost of setting up an internal sales force. If you have a big enough site, you cannot simply service that site by having one salesperson. You need to have sales planners. You need to have ad traffickers. Um, and you need to have multiple salespeople. Um, and finding those people, especially competent people, is very difficult. Um, in addition to all that, there's right now a lot of clutter and noise in the market. And what we're seeing more and more is is that marketers are preferring to work through rep firms for sites that are everything but the very large and very top tier online in the sense that they just can't be bothered about buying, let's say, five different celebrity blogs 
directly through those celebrity blog owners. They'd rather have a company that aggregated those five was sophisticated enough to build a media program that may transcend all five sites. And so to create something more powerful than any one of the sites can do on their own. Um, so from those standpoints, there's a variety of reasons why we believe um, uh, publishers, you know, certain publishers will always choose to use or work with the rep company. And I think the last point to that, which, which I haven't touched on, is that 30% of generally around 30, 25 to 35% of a site's traffic is international. And since last year, Guerrilla Nation is making really strong attempts to grow and build out its international sales force. So we have a big team out in Toronto, and we're looking to hire and establish um, um, uh, components to our business in the U.K. and Australia during this year. Well, you, you raise a, a very good point there because that's um, a big problem of a lot of people. How, how the heck do you monetize international? What kind of CPMs are you able to do? Well, in international markets right now, they're running more. Uh, they're running ad price uh, ads that are mostly remnant in nature because there aren't a lot of sophisticated sales of dot coms or sites that are based in the U.S. to media buyers in foreign markets. And based on our initial success in um, in the Canadian market, we're very confident that we're going to be able to build out a end-to-end ad rep company, which can effectively sell a dot-com ad inventory, you know, across the globe. Okay, so let's. I mean, as I, I talked with Greg Singh about this about eight months ago, and, and sat down and said, "Look, what what is your biggest issue you're dealing with right now?" And he said, "His, his number one thing is so much international traffic that's not monetized um, or not monetized well." What can you say to someone like Greg? Well, I'd say you have to investigate the local landscape and find a, a good ad rep partner that can effectively sell your site. Um, I think there's also certain, you know, um, certain, you know, uh, customs to each particular company, uh, country, and you have to make sure that you're dealing with the right, um, the right ad rep firm. You have to check for their reputation and how, how their ability is to sell brand with respect to the vertical you're in. So. If you're an entertainment site and you're working with a rep company that mostly sells technology, you're probably in the wrong. You're probably going to be working with the wrong company. I also think that you need to staff internal resources to make sure that you're able to adapt and customize plans that are solely visible to people in um, foreign um, countries. So, sticking with the Reskin example, you're going to have to make sure that you have somebody in charge that can help expedite and facilitate, um, you know, rolling out geo-targetable Reskins or geo-targetable integration opportunities, and I think you need to work with a very strong rep company in those markets. Um, One thing we're trying to do is try to create an end-to-end solution so sites like Greg's can turn to um, a single company that can manage, you know, their international inventory in hopefully a variety of countries. We may not be in every one, but we at least want to be in the the largest ones which cater to English language sites. I'd imagine the 80-20 rule would kick in. I mean, which would be the, the, the countries you'd, you'd care about? Oh, so you'd only do English. You wouldn't do other languages? Well, right now, I mean, for starters right now, we just want to make sure that we're set up and rolling in the United Kingdom as well as Australia and New Zealand. Um, I think when, once we're in those markets, we'll be able to gauge, you know, how to sell into Southeast Asia and how to sell into Europe, but we first need to get there before we can uh, extend ourselves any further. Well, as an Australian, can I suggest you prioritize Australia and forget about New Zealand? <laughs> you got it. <laughs> we, we have to, for those listening, we, we have, there's an ongoing Australian-New Zealand rivalry, and I, 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 I know, that I, I know. Drop that in. Uh, I, I think that in, a, in a Brit, we'll make sure to uh, make sure that we uh, don't go focus on Ireland before uh, before uh, Great Britain. Exactly. 
Um, so another another guy I, I haven't actually talked to yet, but we may interview at some point is John. But I don't know how to say his last name. John Batia or John Batalla? Batali. Yep. John Batali. I think Batali or Batali. Yeah. Um, is is he doing exactly the same thing as you? Very, very similar. Um, they, they are acting as an ad rep company. They are occupying sort of a different, um, different part of the Internet ecosystem where they right now are currently focusing a lot more on um, – they're focusing primarily on blogs and they're focusing primarily on tech blogs, although I know that they are expanding. And they are doing a very good job acting as a rep company. Um, so it's great to see another company being successful. Are there not many companies uh, that are doing well with what you guys do? No, not in the U.S., um, and that's for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, mo- it's a it's a much tougher um, proposition. A lot of people that are coming into the internet space, um, they're primarily coming up with you know startups are primarily coming up with you know different tech plays that can be scalable. Whether it's a widget maker or you know uh, an ad server, um, they're addressing those aspects of the model. And and, and most new startups are not addressing sort of like the media services space. Um, and if they are addressing it, they are usually having underlying technologies to address it. Well, we have a you know a very robust you know ad platform and ad op system that we've built for our publishers and us to take advantage of. It's still primarily a high touch point sell. So if we're not selling high touch point ad campaigns, um, everything else is sort of irrelevant. And most people just for whatever reason have decided not to um, enter it in that space. So that's good because there's not a lot of competition, or is it not a fast-growing market? It is fast-growing. Um, I think you have to build, you know, uh, surrounding businesses around your core rep end, or you know, you have to go in an international way, or you have to really think through, um, you know, some of the um, weaknesses of just being a pure service provider or a pure rep company. Um, but I think it's also very hard, and um, you have to get to scale. You have to rep enough sites that you're meaningful to advertisers. And in order to sign those sites, you better have campaigns for them, otherwise they're going to be pretty displaced pretty quickly. So for most companies, I've found that it's really the chicken and the egg. And I think the other thing that's been special about us is that rather than focusing only on the what we would call the fat end of the, the long tail, we've really defined the term mid-tail. And mid-tail, we like to refer to sites that are really important niche affinity content sites that have meaningful audiences and meaningful marketing opportunities, and we try to represent as many of those sites as possible in our existing categories so that marketers can create a scalable you know, media campaign reaching millions of people by aggregating 8 to 10 or 8 to 20 really strong sites. Um, typical rep companies in the past have gone out and focused only on the very top sites, and those top sites are the most likely to potentially leave them, and then they're left with nothing, and then their businesses don't grow. So by focusing the mid-size and then going up, um, we've been much more successful from those companies that have focused on the top side and then gone down. And that would seem to be your, your market too, that sort of size, isn't it? That's correct. Not too small and not too big. That's correct. Although we are working with several very large sites who um, take Millsbury, for example, one of the top three or four kids' site that's owned by General Mills, and they just, you know, they are not experts in ad selling. They still want to have, make sure that they have safe and secure and conservative ad placements and being taught by a company that's very, uh, very, very good in its space. And it's been a learning experience for them. And they're getting great brand ads on their, you know, their community site for kids. And so it really depends on the business objectives of, of the particular publisher and what they're looking for. And based on that, sometimes you very well may represent very, very large sites. Um, 
Do you ever do deals around other stuff, for example, lead generation? Um, and I'll give you an example. Let's say a site like FARC, he could build in and work build in a lead generation campaign where people are, are thrown, are shown offers every so often, like um, you know, a debt offer or you know some other. You know, and they're annoying sometimes, but offers that, uh, that where the intent is to be reasonably relevant. Um, and build that into a branded campaign. Do you ever do creative stuff like that, or do you only just focus on CPM stuff? We only focus on CPM stuff, but we will do creative stuff if it's surrounding um, a branding experience. Um, but we are not trying to position ourselves or sell ourselves as a performance-based company um, for purely performance campaigns. However, we do want to create engaging, you know, engaging, measurable integrated media programs that benefit brand marketers. Hmm. What about behavioral? How do you work with a Takoda or um, Revenue Science or someone like that? We don't. I mean, behavioral is very different than contextual. I mean, if you think about ourselves, we are a contextual um, ad sales company. Um, we are repping premium content, and because of that, we personally believe that uh, premium content trumps behavioral. Um, so. If you've got a great auto site, uh, you don't need to run a behavioral campaign to reach those, you know, users that are intending to purchase an automotive site. Uh, similarly, if you're on a great movie site, you don't need to run a campaign to reach people that are most likely to see movies. Behavioral um, is an imp- also uh, an important um, media vehicle online, but it should be used as an additive factor to an online campaign, not as a substitute for um, running media on content sites. Really, behavioral really comes into play when you're having sort of the premium inventory w- uh, within a specific user always being sold out, whether you're in an auto category, a finance category, an entertainment category, and marketers just can't buy enough of that inventory. Then they want to look towards behavioral solutions to reach users who are interested in that um, in an alternative manner. Do you ever have um, do you ever put together a deal with a, an advertiser and a, and a, and a publisher and have the have one or both parties try to work around you and cut you out of the deal? That has happened. Um, it's it's rare, um, but it has happened before. Um, generally, it's not intentional. In most instances, it's just one or the other. It's an advertiser that's trying to circumvent, or it's a publisher trying to circumvent. Um, it doesn't happen as often as one may think, but you know it happens every now and then. I mean, so is that something you actually actively have to watch for in your business? Is it? We do, but it's not something that's completely disruptive towards it. You really have to have re- build publisher relationships based on trust, and um, you got to quickly ferret out those publishers that may or advertisers that may be untrustworthy. Right. And so, if you find a guy that goes in and you bring someone to him, and then he cuts you out of the the deal, then you just drop him and you don't work with him again. Well, no, we, 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 A, we would get paid because we have an exclusive contract and we would pursue that. And, um, and then going forward, we would decide whether or not if we wanted to enter a relationship or make sure that the publisher understands the agreement that they signed. Right. Okay. Um, of all the deals you've done, what would you say is the deal you're most proud of? Um, we, well, there's a, several deals that we're really proud of. I think we've been vanguards in a variety of categories. We've really brought, um, early on, we we rep still to this day a very strong collection of movie sites. We're proud of representing each and every one of sort of our top five or six sites, whether that be Ain't It Cool News, Dark Horizons, Joe Blow, Movie Web, or Box Office Mojo. Those are all 
class sites, and we've represented them for a number of years and been able to perform for them for, you know, in excess of six years. So we're really proud of that. Um, we're proud of um, identifying the celebrity blogging category and identifying such strong sites as Pink as a New Blog and the Superficial before people even realized that celebrity blogging was going to be a huge trend. Um, those are, those are what, what is celebrity blogging? <laughs> celebrity gossip sites that are basically people commenting on celebrity gossip from their own point of view. And yeah, coming like up with you, yeah TMZ or Perez Hilton, those are you know the, those are other examples of sites, um, and citing really good sites like that. I mean, there's no one favorite that stands out, but there's you know a good ten to twenty that we're extremely proud of. So, how do you find a new client like one of those guys? How do you, how, how does that start? We have a very big business development department um, that's sole job is to go out and cover verticals and make sure they're aware of all the leading new sites that are popping up, as well as existing sites. Um, and we also get a lot of referrals based from from happy publishers or advertisers that believe that the site would be a great addition to Gorilla Nation Media. Hmm. But how many uh, biz dev guys do you have? We right now have, I would say, probably at least ten. Uh, ten people between, you know, going out and uh, securing new publishers, re-signing new publishers, and then managing those relationships day to day. And so they're going out and figuring out who the guys actually are, um, researching the market a lot, figuring out who they are, and then finding ways to get through to them, and then you go in and cut a deal. That's correct. And who actually does the deals? Do those guys do the deals, or then do you go in and do the actual deal? Um, no, we have a business development team that's self-sufficient. They interact with our legal department, and they, um, they go out and do their deals. So what, what, what actually day-to-day stuff are you involved with, or do you more just focus on managing and running the business? Mostly, you know, the business right now is is reached a scale where it's a lot of management running the business. We've we have one of the things that we're also really proud of is that we've built, you know, a really interesting company with lots of bright people that are leaders in their own right, and we really lead it to those we leave it and defer to those people to let them run their departments and manage their teams. However, um, they're always you know free to come in and speak with us, and we're always go, going to them if we have any great ideas of, of new sites of our own. Um, or, or approaches that we should be taking with a specific department. But more or less, we really are trying to let um, our group leaders lead their individual units. And so as the site's running, it's, let's say I'm a part, let's go back to me being uh, fark.com again. Um, he's, so Drew is currently using um, Maxim to do his um, branded advertising. What would be, why would you tell Drew he should, should switch from Maxim to Gorilla Nation? Well, you know, I wouldn't right now. Maxim may be doing a very good job. Um, one other thing that I think publishers value us is they value our, you know, our, our commentary. Um, there's also a lot of vertical ad networks popping up in blended opportunities where destination sites are also um, selling media on third-party sites. So it's really an evolving landscape. Um, really what comes down to the question is, is you have to ask yourself, how much are you getting paid? Um, you know, what are you running effective campaigns? Are you running ads that are relevant to your site? So a lot of publishers want to make sure that, hey, I may be getting paid a little bit more, but, you know, I'd like to also run ads that are contextually relevant. Um, and you have to seek out um, sites that are, that, that, if you're a publisher, you have to seek out partners that you feel can be a good ad-selling partner to your site. The issue that Maxim faces and other Vertical vertical networks is that Maxim has a built-in incentive to sell media on their site since they own it and they don't have a revenue share. Um, working with Gorilla Nation Media, you don't have that issue if you're working with um, a rep company that does not is not using a, a known site to sell your rep to, to sell a rep site. 
So you have to worry about conflicts. You have to worry about... Um, you also have to worry about who's doing a good job and who has expertise in that category. Um, you also have to worry about, you know, overextension in a particular category. So if you're working with, um, if you're, you know, a rep site and you don't feel like you're getting the attention you need, you got to think about other opportunities as well. So there, there's a variety of uh, calculations that each individual publisher has to make um, when assessing um, who to work with. And do you have a handle for a publisher? Will you handle, like, everything? Or like including the remnant and all that sort of stuff, or do you do you say to the publisher, well, we'll, we'll handle just your your high end stuff, but you're on your own for the remnant and the other stuff? That's what we do right now. Is so right now we are not focused on the remnant. It's a big pain. You're not like, focused. A guy like Drew, he doesn't care about any advertising. He just wants checks. And if he, yep. if someone would say to him they'd handle everything, I think he would be happy about it. Is there, is there a reason why you don't do that sort of stuff? Yeah, you know, it's just it's an area. You know, it's about an area of focus right now. You know, the remnant space is a whole, you know, different ad space altogether. What we're noticing is who controls the, sort of the premium ad basically controls the sites. Um, our ad sites, our, our sites are mostly hard coded with our ad tags, which means that we are first to run an ad, we're first to call, we're first call with respect to an ad server. So if we have brand campaigns running, our stuff serves ahead of Remnant. And, you know, I think that it will be a broader question where end-to-end solutions still aren't here yet. There's still a little bit of time, but in the end of the day, you're probably going to have to be able to offer both. Um, at, at our current size, we just haven't gotten around to focusing on the, the Remnant side of things yet. Are you familiar with the Rubicon project? Yes. Um, so I interviewed Frank um, um, a couple of months ago, and it, that seems to be solving that exact problem. I mean, I guess is that something that's pretty compatible with what you're doing? Yes, ad exchanges too. Uh, you know, property, you know, uh, companies like Right Media, those will uh, solve those, pro- those, those uh, problems. And I think because we do control, you know, premium sales, we'll be the first company to be able to test those and really, you know, kind of use them as an out of the solution to our sales. In the end of the day, though, there's still such great differences. You know, the disparities are anywhere from, you know, 5 to 50 times. A publisher will get paid anywhere from 5 to 50 times on average on a brand ad compared to a remnant ad. Um, hopefully, people like Frank can up the um, ECPM on remnants where the disparity is not as great. Okay. Is there anything that we should talk about that we have not? Um, I, you know, I think the, um, you know, nothing, nothing really. I think it's really been a good summary for our business. I think the only thing else that we'd like to kind of uh, make note of is that we are constantly coming up with new solutions for our publishers aside from merely representing their ad inventory. We're looking out for um, broad programs that we can sort of offer them um, where we can ferret out who's offering the better program, where we act sort of as a wholesaler in that respect. We're also trying to develop ad technology such as our ad op system to make managing publishers and publishers getting information a much more seamless um, experience. Um, in addition to that, we're trying to develop ad technologies. Um, for example, we're building a syndicated video uh, player where sites will have access to this where they can host their own video or upload their own video as well as share it across other Guerrilla Nation sites will, which will then create uh, video advertising opportunities on their their, their sites. Um, so we're really looking to create a broader, um, uh, act as a broader business partner with our sites and make sure that we're, we're helping a, a lot of sites that may not have either the expertise, the time, or know-how um, to basically build uh, better platforms and create um, new monetization strategies that they may not have thought of. Um, any particular kinds of publishers that you'd like to work with that you're not? 
You know, right now we're pretty happy with, uh, if Perez Hilton wanted to switch ad reps, we'd be really happy about that. But um, we're really happy about the categories we're in. We're always checking around and looking to build out other areas that complement our entertainment and lifestyle content sites. Um, the, the launch of GN Kids was really exciting. Um, we're really excited about working with larger publishers in the international markets. And once we kind of get through the UK and Australia, I think that we'll be looking to get into a couple new verticals as well. Cool. Well, Aaron, thanks very much for your time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.